Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Welcome back to RP3 and Company. Holiday weekend in the books. Hope you had a tremendous weekend. Few days with the family. Brought in Christmas in style. Hopefully Santa brought you everything you asked for. Woo! Good to be back. I'm the big, bald, and beautiful one, Raymond Parch III. Of course, I'm joined inside the illustrious and warm game studios <laughs> by Miss Hannah Five Names. We got a good show lined up for you today. Getting back on track for the week. It's a short week once again because we're only on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Then we're off again next Monday because of New Year's. But we're going to get everything jam-packed in for you today. Three guests. Our old friend Brett Chancy from the Locked on Astros podcast will join us. What are the Astros still to do? Is there anything left for the Astros to do? They've been quiet. Had some of their bigger stars leave in free agency. Are they done? What's the status on Yuli Gurriel? Is he going to come back? Is he not? Also, can he make heads and tails of the Carlos Correa situation? One team has problems with his physical. He backs out of that deal or they back out of that deal. Then he goes to another team, signs another deal, agrees to terms for another deal, and they have the same concerns. We still don't know quite what the health concerns are. But it's intriguing that two teams that are willing to spend more than $300 million have health concerns concerning Carlos Correa, the former Astros shortstop. So Brett Chancey will join us at 7 o'clock to break that down. At 8 o'clock, we'll talk all things McNeese with Jim Gozzolo. Get his thoughts on how the Cowboys did on National Signing Day. They had themselves quite the day during the early signing period. He'll give his thoughts on what he thinks Gary Goff was able to accomplish what's still to accomplish for the Cowpokes program. And then look ahead to maybe some men's basketball action that'll happen this coming weekend. That'll be at 8 o'clock. And then 8.30, our friend, the editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights, Ali Cassell. No Zion, no problem last night against the Pacers as the Pelicans, after losing four straight, have now won three straight. Welcome to the NBA. It's all about the runs. That's what it is. It's all about the runs. And this year in the Western Conference, it's all about parity. Of course, we'll take your phone calls. 
You know we love to hear from you. I want to hear what Santa brought you. I want to know if you got coal in your stocking. Or if you got locked out of your house, couldn't go to a bowl game. Or if you went to a bowl game and there was no working elevator or working restrooms. Or if you come back home from a delightful, what I would assume is a delightful time at your future in-laws in lovely Florida to come back to water coming out your door because of the freeze. All three of those things, by the way, really happened to your family here at the game. (laughs) So, Hannah... How was your Christmas? <laughs> I mean, it started off fantastic. Outstanding. Um, of course, had the lovely given where I ended up driving some of the drive there because he's gonna know how to drive five hours. It's fine. Um, had a lovely time. Got to pick up the time future. Out, time out. I'm going yes. to stop you right there. Yes. <laughs> he doesn't know how to drive five hours? He doesn't or- how to drive. He's in like driving for so long. And so I still gave in and halfway point, I got in the driver's seat and we drove the other half after picking up food and it being wrong because she misheard what he said so we had to go back to the drive through twice to pick up dinner on the way over there it's already outstanding picked up the, the stepson um early a day so we get to hang up have him for another day extra uh, that sounds lovely it was fantastic great still a great time we're seeing all the grandparents, we're seeing the grandparents, seeing the cousins. Outstanding. You know, playing Crazy Uno. Oh, Crazy Uno. Yeah, we're having a blast. And then come Sunday, we leave at 6 o'clock because he has to work on Monday morning. And we get home and I'm like, oh, I don't remember hearing that it was raining outside. I don't remember hearing that's going to happen in, in Lafayette. And so, <laughs> worrisome, I walk in the door. And uh, um, one, it's 42 degrees out of my house. I'm looking my cat's alive. That's really cold, I feel like, for her. Um, and I walk into the kitchen, and there is water on the ground. Oh. And we find out that um, we have yesterday, because I sat with a plumber guy for four hours, um, we had three leaks in our house, two in the back, one at the front. Um, I now have a hole because there's water shooting up oh, yeah. the wall in the laundry room. Yeah, yeah. So there's a hole right now that's covered with plastic so the cat won't get in because I found the cat at one point inside of the uh, box spring last yesterday. Couldn't find her. Found her. And uh, I have currently no towels because all of my towels, including the dog's big, huge red comforter that goes over his kennel, are now soaking wet from stopping the water because we couldn't find the, the meter. As we got to wait for an LUS guy to come and uh, shut off the water. Shut the water off. So, uh, yeah. So, so. First of all, wh- why didn't you say something about your towels? You could have just, I could just t- take it home, wash it, and dried them today, and you'd have them to go back home with you. Yeah. Uh, okay, but what, what, we'll dive into that later. But they fixed the problem. Yes. The pipes are now fixed. Yes. There's no more water gushing in your house, and the animals are okay. Yeah. And you didn't lose anything? Nope. There we go. Just some sleep. <laughs> there we go. There we go. <laughs> Did you go to bed till about 1. You had to go. get up at 5.30. It was, it was a great time. So 
you come home to that on Sunday. We head up, Kevin and I head up to Shreveport on Friday for the bowl game for the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. And it's supposed to be a three-man team, right? Yeah. Playing it all out. Got the credentials taken care of. Even have the official Radiance Technologies Independence Bowl swag bag, which is a book bag, right? It's laying right there on Matthew Miguez's desk. It's supposed to be three of us. So I get a text from Kev Friday morning. <laughs> now, mind you, freezing conditions, so we're going to leave a little bit early to get in, in case we run into any bad weather, in case there's, you know, in case they did get rain and icy roads, you know, because we're traveling three hours essentially north to go to Shreveport. So I get the I get the text from Kev. Hey, Matthew's not answering his door. Our boy. Locked himself out of his house on Thursday night. So I don't get a text. I don't get anything. I get a message, a DM on Twitter at, I don't know, 1230 at night. (laughs) Saying, I'm not going to be able to come to the bowl game tomorrow. And I go, why? (laughs) He's like, because... I was outside treating the pipes of the house, and I locked myself out. I go, how? So he installed these new smart locks, and the only way that you can do it if you don't have your key is to use an app on your phone. But guess what? He and his wife both left their phones inside the house, their keys inside the house. So our boy was locked out of his house on Thursday night. And I'm just thinking to myself, how do you not have a hide a key? How do you not have a, how can you not climb through a window or some sort of thing to get back into your house where you, if you don't have your phone, you can't get into your house. Like that, that's the thing I'm still trying to wrap my brain quite around because I'm the old man. And I just go, what? And Kevin felt the same way. He's like, what? But our boy had to miss going to the Independence Bowl because he locked himself out, didn't have his phone, didn't have his keys, had to get his dad, and had to spend the night at his dad's until he got a locksmith to come to let him in the house for the holiday weekend. He got back in, though. That morning, on Friday morning, but we were already into Alexandria. (laughs) So, so, I'm like, all right. Oh, big messy. So, we get up there, and Kevin and I are be bopping around, listening to tunes. And we're about 15 minutes outside of Streetport when we get a notification. Because I'm part of the group text with the other media members here in the area from the Cajuns. And the Cajuns are like, hey, heads up. And I'm like, oh, no. And Kevin's like, read this. I'm like, okay. It says, heads up. Just want to let you know. 
No running water in the press box, so we have no restrooms inside the stadium. So there's restrooms available on the ground floor of Independent Stadium. All right. We can deal with that. We can deal with that. <laughs> they had them on the ground floor. They also had a slew of porta potties everywhere on the ground floor inside Independent Stadium. And it is blistering cold up in Shreveport. Our guy Darren made the trip up, number one Raging Cajun fan. My man goes to all the games. He was he didn't even reply back to a direct message when I asked him, Are you here? He was so cold he couldn't respond. Twenty degrees by kickoff. With the wind chill, it was down to about, I do believe, six or seven. Just frigid. Love it. I'm like, I can handle that. I can handle going down and using the restrooms on the ground floor if need be. Not a problem. Right when we arrive, we're waiting in the traffic to come around the old baseball park over there by the fairgrounds in lovely Shreveport. And we're making our way. And Kevin's even making the comment, why are they making these these people out here work parking cars? How many people is going to show up for this game? (laughs) Just let these people not have to work because it's so cold. But by the time we park, we get another notification. Another heads up. Heads up. Elevator out. People trapped inside. No elevator to the press box. <laughs> you should have seen Foot's face. The man, the man was like, oh. He started doing the shaking the head thing. He was not, not happy. He's like, cat. Cat, we got to climb. How are we going to get up to the press box? I go, we're going to have to walk up the ramp, and then we're going to have to walk. All this is outside in the frigid cold, so we're bundled up. I got the hooded sweatshirt underneath. I got my coat, my hooded coat. Kevin's all bundled up. Security was so lax. It was so cold. Security was just like, they did like the minor kind of like pat down, checking your bag thing. There's like, go ahead, go. (laughs) They're like, go ahead, go. No, if you're here, we that's fine. Just go. So you have to walk into the stadium, and you literally go up the ramp, and you come out onto the first level of Independent Stadium. And you have to walk all the way up outside in the 20-degree weather. All the way up. And it's like five stories, right? Five or six stories. Outside. And the elevator was out. They even made the president of UL have to do this, who we saw. And, and, and he was struggling. <laughs> so it's windy. It's frigid. We get up there. I'm like, okay. Got no restroom up here. We already know this. The elevator, not working. So we get up there. We start to warm up everything. Then, then they let us know. Hey, food is downstairs in the media room on the ground floor because they had, they set up a big media room right on the ground floor of the stadium that's where you had the post game press conferences and everything like that but the food was in there <laughs> so so Kevin's like cat what are we going to do I said look man we got some time we'll just go we'll time it We'll have our final bathroom break before the start of the game, and we'll eat, and we'll do it all at the same time. So we go down there. We pile up on food, get all the carbs that we need, 
You know, just, just try, trying to do our best to, you know. Then we make the climb back. And our guy, footsie, it was a struggle. It was a struggle for our boy. It was a struggle to get back up there. We had It was a team effort. I was worried about Kev. I was worried about Kevin making them stairs. We get back up there. About five minutes later, there's a whole group of us, like a whole caravan goes down to eat and use the restroom and then go back up. They're like, oh, by the way, we brought some food up for y'all. <laughs> Bus gumbies. Oh. Oh, oh, my God. Oh, my God. So then afterwards, we go down. The game ends, and we'll recap that game and hear from Coach Dez and, and hear from a couple of players and hear from Coach Holgerson from Houston. It, it, the temperature has has plummeted by the time the game gets done. Nightfall has come. It's gotten colder. It's gotten windier. I go outside after the press conference to do the little post-game video recap, and I'm literally out there for maybe seven minutes, and I come back inside because I can't feel my hands. I can't, I can't feel my hands, and they're completely red. Thankfully, shout out to Dan McDonald. He had hand warmers. He gave them to me, and I drank some hot cocoa and just put my hands around the cup and did that to heat up my hands. It was awesome. <laughs> but, hey, I had a great time. Look, it, it was a bowl game I will not soon forget, an experience with Kevin that I won't soon forget. I was worried about our boy. I mean, I struggled, but I was worried about our boy. He was using that handrail a lot coming up them stairs a second time. He was like, oh, no. Oh, no. He goes, no, no, none of this. None of this. So somehow the only one unscathed of this weekend is James. Was Donut. Was Donut. James is chilling. As far as we know, we have no reports <laughs> if James was got into any type of shenanigans. Great time. Darren says that was the coldest game he'd ever attended. He says at least you had a press box with heaters. We froze the whole time. Yeah, shout out to the fans because there wasn't many. Shout out to people like Darren who came out and supported his team out in those conditions because there's no like there's no place to take shelter at Independence Stadium. There's no spot in the stadium where you're like this protects me from the elements. No, no. <laughs> there's none of that. Not there. Not in that bad boy. Not in that old, ancient monstrosity. And a lovely, lo lovely stadium. They were hospital. They had hot cocoa. There we go. There was something. Darren, next time you go to that game, man, you, you let me know. You respond back to my DMs because I could have brought you some hot cocoa out of the stands and some food. I would have trekked down for D. But like, bud, meet me down. The elevator did start working at halftime, so we did have that going for us. So if we would have just waited, essentially, yeah, <laughs> we would have had the food come up to the press box, and we would uh, we would have been able to use the elevators to go down for the restrooms. <laughs> it was a great weekend, guys. <laughs> Epic weekend, man. It was. It was. You know what? Got to sit and spend uh, the holidays with the families. So we, we did, did have we did we did have some adventures. But it was still a, a tremendous and wonderful weekend. We got to take a timeout. 
Love to hear from you. Hotline's open, 337-706-0111. Tell us about your holiday weekend. New Orleans Pelicans. Woo! Pellies didn't have Zion. Didn't matter last night as they won their third straight game. We'll recap it for you. That's coming up next right here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update, presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Uh, many of you got a Alexa Google Home speaker, a smart speaker, probably underneath your tree this holiday season. Guess what? That bad boy is going to help you control the lights in your house, your thermostats, and so much more. But did you know they can also play the game? That's right. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Just ask your Alexa or Google Home to play the game Southwest Louisiana. That's it. Ask it to play the game, Southwest Louisiana. It's that easy. So do the smart thing and have the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles with you at your office, your home, and everywhere you go. Poll question of the day we will be unveiling here in a few moments. But let's talk a little New Orleans Pelicans basketball. They had that great seven-game win streak, did it primarily without Brandon Ingram. Then they hit a four-game skid. You're like, eh. Team's still a work in progress. Western Conference is a work in progress. Doesn't feel like there's a dominant team out of the conference this year. Lakers are down. Warriors are on the struggle bus. So not a lot of difference between the team that's currently first in the standings and the one that's maybe fifth or sixth. Really, At this point in the season, there really isn't. And the Pelicans are still trying to figure things out. Well, they've put together a couple of wins. And last night, they took down the Pacers 113-93. Third straight win for the Pels. Now they improve to 21-12 overall. And they're an impressive 14-4 inside the Smoothie King Center. And last night, they got a win against, uh, let's be honest, an, an average Pacers team. They're 17 and 17 overall this season. But did so without, well, without some of their best players. No Zion Williamson. No Brandon Ingram. No Herb Jones. This team is still not quite healthy. Yet, They got contributions by the other guys. No Trey Murphy either. So no Zion, no Brandon Ingram, no Herb Jones, no Trey Murphy III. Kind of a skeleton crew in NBA terms. Yet they had guys step up. Najee Marshall, who's really thrived in his role as the team's sixth or seventh man. He gets put into the starting lineup. Leads the team with 22 points. Valachunas, 
man, he's been so good, so reliable to start this season. 10 of 18 from the field. He chips in 20 points, pulls down 20, uh, 12 boards, rather. They get 15 from Jackson Hayes. That's a name we haven't called in a while for the Pels. Jackson Hayes not only contributed, but Jackson Hayes started. 15 points, 9 rebounds, nearly had himself a double-double. And C.J. McCollum, the floor general, gives him 19. They only played five players off the bench, but even got contributions from Devontae Graham, who scored in double figures. This is the type of game that's always a good sign. You were out with four starters, minus four starters in the lineup, and you still comfortably win a game by 20 points. Now, now Indiana's not a world beater, but they're not one of the worst teams in the NBA. You still beat an opponent by 20 without four of your starters. My big question mark for this team and mainly centered around Zion to begin the season, but now it applies to the whole team. Can this team be healthy enough to make a run? And I don't know that answer. As it stands right now, the Tuesday after Christmas, I'd say no. This is a promising sign. This is a good sign. Don't get me wrong. The fact that you had guys like Jackson Hayes and Devontae Graham and Najee Marshall all kind of step up and help carry the load to get them a win. That's a great sign of this team having the right amount of depth it needs for a playoff run. But it's all about chemistry. It's all about finding those guys and working together. The more time Brandon Ingram misses for this toe issue, you're going to have to figure out how he can be incorporated back into the lineup. Zion's missing time now. So, they have the talent. They obviously have depth, which is a huge asset. And they have a young coach that gets his guys to play hard. But will the team chemistry there? They seem to get along. That they do. Make no question about it. But figuring out how all these guys are going to play together on the floor when everyone is healthy is going to be the big hurdle for this team. And the second one, in my opinion, is can this team stay healthy? Because it hasn't been that way all season. Don't forget, last season, they didn't have Zion. This season, they've played, what, five games together? The starting lineup? That's it. That's all. We're 33 games in. There's only been five games where B.I., Zion, Valachunas, CJ, and Herb have all played together. You're starting five. That just doesn't happen overnight. There's going to have to be an adjustment period of everyone getting back into the flow of things and figuring it all out. Great sign last night, getting the 20-point win at home against an average NBA team when you had four starters out. Make no question about it. But still got questions about this team. We got to take a timeout. When we come back, unveil the poll question of the day. We're going to talk a little New Orleans Saints football. Yeah, they played back on Saturday, and guess what happened? 
they got themselves a win. Back-to-back wins for the first time this season. Let's throw a parade for the black and gold, shall we? We'll talk about that. Dive into that next right here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. You know how some fellas don't care how they look? I mean, a few of you are rocking sweatpants that haven't been washed in days. Ew. Not to worry, my dear unkempt friend. RP3 and company is a judgment-free zone. Hell, sometimes these guys don't even wear pants. I would like to extend to you an invitation to the pants party. Excuse me? The party. The pants with the pants. Party with pants. Now back to the hopefully fully clothed RP3 on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. No, I, I think that um, it starts leadership. You know, I, I think, you know, from coaching, coaching staff, ownership, um, you know, to players, I think that everyone set an expectation that, you know, we haven't played as well as uh, we would have liked to. We haven't won as many games as we were planning to and hoping to, obviously, this year. But that doesn't uh, change the way that we prepare, the way that we um, go and play this game. And at the end of the day, you know, we're all – prideful players and we care about the product that we put out on the field and you know putting the Saints uniform on um, means something and and uh, that's at the root of it. Taysom Hill about why the team hasn't thrown in the towel that was after the Saints went into frigid Cleveland speaking of cold weather that was brutal up there in Ohio down 10 nothing in this ball game they score 17 unanswered points to win 17 to 10 to win back-to-back games for the first time this season what against a team that usually kind of owns them and the saints have been actually have played very well have a very good winning percentage in outside cold games since like 2014-15. We we always think of them as a team that struggles outside in the elements because they're a dome team. And traditionally, if you go all the way back, that's the truth. But in the last five or six years, they've actually done a very nice job of playing in the elements it's not exactly the kiss of death as it used to be for this franchise courtesy of ross jackson our friend if you include today's win in cleveland the saints are now five and one since the start of the 2014 season when in outdoor games in which the temperature is 40 degrees fahrenheit or less at kickoff That's on the road at Pittsburgh, at Denver, at Chicago, at Cincinnati, at Philadelphia, and now at Cleveland. So, for years, if they went outside and played in sub-40-degree weather, it was going to be an L. But that has not been the case since 2014. They're 5-1 now in games played in 
conditions where the temperature is below 40 degrees. Maybe the perception's not exactly what it should be. Imagine that. But let's get back to this game. It was ugly. It was not an offensive explosion. But with the temperatures and the wind in Cleveland, didn't expect it to be. This was old school, smash mouth, slodge, ugly football. And the Saints were the better team at playing the ugly football. Andy Dalton only threw the ball 15 times. Threw for less than 100 yards. Had an interception. But Sean Watson was actually not that much better. They actually threw the ball 31 times, Cleveland did. Ooh. And those conditions? And Deshaun still hasn't found his way back to being a starting quarterback in the NFL. I warned everyone. Everyone said, hey, this was a done deal. And when the Saints were flirting with getting Deshaun Watson, this guy's going to have to shake off the rust. That's what I said. And sure enough, you're seeing it in real time. He has not been good. He's not going to be because he hasn't played football in a couple of years. Saints, though, were committed to running the football, and man, they did that. Kamara, 20 carries. Taysom Hill got nine carries. They rushed for 152 yards in this ball game. Defense played well. Yeah, Nick Chubb nearly got 100 yards on the ground, but that was it. That was really all of their offense. It was an ugly game. Former LSU Tiger Grant Delpit got an interception for Cleveland. Daniel Sorensen, we haven't called his name at all, all season long. Backup DB and special teamer. He got himself a pick in this game. Will Lutz made a field goal in the terrible conditions. But they did enough to get the win, and they did a nice job of game, game planning for running the football. Running the football. That's what they're built for. That's what they're good at. And Alvin Kamara talked about that game plan for them to go into Cleveland and just run the football over and over and over again. Yeah, I mean, you come, in, you come into a game like that knowing what the conditions are going to be. And, and um, obviously, you know, it's, we came in like, all right, we're going to run the ball. And when it permits, we're going to throw it. You know, it's just kind of like you use your common sense out there. It's not really like a big strategic thing where we talk about it all week. Like, it's just... Hey, if we got the if the wind is in our favor, we're gonna throw the ball. If not, we're gonna run it. You know what I'm saying? It's just it's kind of like one of those things. Taysom was effective as well. Ran him nine times in this ball game. Look, you don't need to run Taysom Hill 25 times in a ball game to win. You just need to utilize the fact that he's a load. He's like 235, 240 pounds. It's a big dude. You think he's easy to tackle? No. You think he's going to be easy to tackle in frigid conditions? No. They actually utilized him the right way, and Taysom talked about he and Kamara being able to wear down the Browns' vaunted defense. Yeah, I mean, look, I I think in a game like this, when you can line up and and they know you're going to run the ball and you can still run it successfully, um, man, that's a good feeling as an offense. And I felt like... Up front, receivers, everyone, man, they, they had the right met, mindset going into this game. And those guys 
you know, won us the game and, you know, Alvin and myself were beneficiaries of those guys doing everything they needed to up front to, to allow us to, to run the ball. The defense, they gave up some yardage to Chubb for sure. <clears throat> but they did a nice job. They frustrated Deshaun. And when it counted, they made plays. And Carl Granderson, kind of a veteran journeyman on this team, he came up with a game-sealing sack late in this ball game, and this is what happened on that play. To my linebacker, you know, he needed some help out there, so I, I went to go help him out, and then I fell back in the rush. And then, you know, Marcus Davenport did a wonderful job uh, keeping containment, and that allowed the quarterback to step right into me. So I had to get him on the ground to end the game. So guys kind of picking each other up. Look, we have been critical of how Dennis Allen prepares this team. We've been critical on how he coaches this team, how he doesn't make adjustments during game day. They do play hard for him. We've said it. It's not necessarily an effort thing with the exception of the tackling where you had about an eight-game stretch there where you're like, oh, these guys don't tackle. But for the most part, they 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 kind of play hard for him. It's just always been the execution, right? You can tell they're not prepared properly. <clears throat> and I've brought this up before that it feels like he's struggling to connect with the veterans and getting the veterans to carry the load and do what they need to do, where the younger guys have been the ones that have kind of thrived under Dennis Allen's coaching. The older guys have kind of regressed, which is an interesting dynamic with the Saints. But everyone chipped in in a big way yesterday. I'm sorry, Saturday. Holiday weekend. But now, they have to go to Philly. Temperatures won't be as bad. That Arctic storm that came through the United States is leaving, has left. We're going to get a, actually a bit of a warm front coming through this week. So it won't be sub 40 degree temperatures in Philly. But the Eagles, without Jalen Hurts, suffered a loss over the weekend to the Dallas Cowboys. They're going to be looking to get back on track with a win. And they already have to turn their attention <coughs> to facing Philly, who is projected to be the number one seed in the NFC for the playoffs. And Dennis Allen was asked, hey, now you got to start turning your attention. Jalen Hurts, Garden Minshew, not for sure who it's going to be this coming weekend. Will Hurts be able to come back and play or not, or will it have to be the backup and former Mike Leach coached quarterback, Garden Minshew? And this is what he said the big difference is between the two. We're in today putting the plan together for uh, for Philly. and and uh, uh, But look, I thought I – thought Minshew did some really good things in the game yesterday against Dallas. And so, uh, look, I think we have to we have to prepare for the offensive scheme, uh, number one. And, and really, it starts with their ability to run the football. And, and then we've got to understand who the weapons are they have on the outside and how they can attack us in the, in the passing game with those weapons on the outside. But, um, yeah, certainly, you know, kind of two different style uh, quarterbacks, but yet both have 
had success uh, in that offense. You know, um, I mean, they scored 34 points yesterday against Dallas, so it uh, didn't seem to be much of a challenge for them in terms of getting some offense. So that'll be the next roadblock for the Saints. To go on the road, they're going to be playing an angry Philly team who's going to still be steamed for losing to their arch rival, the Dallas Cowboys. Not exactly the time that you want to play them. (laughs) Not exactly the time that you want to play them. But that's where the Saints find themselves. And with two weeks to go in the regular season, believe it or not, the Saints are still in the hunt. Believe it or not. Unbelievable. Six and nine, they're still in the hunt with two weeks to go. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we'll wrap up our number one, unveil our poll question of the day, get to your comments that you posted on Facebook and Twitter. You're listening to the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Oh, poll question of the day. Now that we're back and better than ever from our extended holiday weekend, we asked you, how was your Christmas holiday? It's pretty simple. How was your Christmas holiday? There's always going to be adventures. There's always going to be stories that you can tell. We let off today's show talking about that. Hannah came back to her house, it being partially flooded from broken pipes. Matthew... Miguez locked himself out of his house because he has a smart lock system. (laughs) He can only unlock it with a phone? Nah, man. Hide a key time. What up? And then I was very concerned about Kevin Foote's health. (laughs) Climbing up and down the stairs in Independence Stadium in the frigid conditions. But it was also a great time to spend with family. Many of us went to church service. I got to read the I got to be the reader in our candlelight Christmas service on Christmas Eve, which was nice. And I had a tremendous Christmas. How was your Christmas holiday? 56% of you say great. 44% say good. No votes for crappy. No votes for other. That's what I like to see. Keep those votes coming. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll update it throughout today's show. That's going to do it for hour number one. Hour number two, we're kicking it off with Brett Chancey of the Locked On Astros podcast. That's coming up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything. Everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Amidst all the holiday cheer and fun and shenanigans, 
and everything going on with college football, bowl season, the Cajuns playing up in the Independence Bowl in frigid conditions, the Saints winning back-to-back games for the first time this season, is a story out of baseball that is bizarre. Carlos Correa, the former All-Star and Rookie of the Year for the Houston Astros, has now had not one but two mega deals in jeopardy because of something going on with his health. He signs the record-breaking 13-year, $350 million deal with the San Francisco Giants, or at least agrees to it. Then they have concerns during the physical examination. His agent says, oh, okay, you want to pause? You want to have hesitation? I'll just shop my client to the Mets. And he'll go sign a 12-year deal worth $315 million. But that deal hasn't been signed yet. Because there's been multiple reports coming out that the Mets themselves have concerns about Carlos Correa's health. The guy's been injured before, he's had finger issues, he broke his ribs with the massage at his house. But anything worth jeopardizing a $300-plus million deal? To give his thoughts on a guy that used to be a fixture for the Houston Astros and also give his thoughts on a bit of a quiet offseason for the Astros, anything left for them to do, is the man who co-hosts the Locked On Astros podcast, our old friend Brett Chancy. Brett, good morning to you, brother. Hope you had a tremendous Christmas with your family, my friend. Yes, sir. It has been great. Um, it was my first Christmas with my grandson, Avon. That was really, really cool. Um, who would have thought it could have been Disney? And we got many more to look forward to. Um, but man, someone who's had quite a odd Christmas is probably the Correa household, as you've mentioned. So, what's go? So, I, what could this possibly be? Because the Giants were all about all chips on the table to make him the face of their franchise for the next thirteen years, right? He—that's yeah. who he's going to be. He was going to be the guy, and then they were like, "Uh oh." And they still thought a deal could be done, but his agent steps in and says, not so fast, we'll go to somewhere else. And now the Mets are having some trepidation as well, and their owner is not afraid to spend money. What do you, what's going on here with Carlos? There must be something, I'm assuming, other than this, unless he's unless this rod in his leg where, where he broke, I guess, his femur back in 2014, he had orthoscopic surgery. I mean, I'm trying to wrap my head around it myself. I was looking into it yesterday, I mean, this morning, and there's got to be something in this physical that that's apparently very worrisome. I mean, the what's odd is when you go back to the Twins, where the Twins initially offered him a 10-year deal, and he rejected it. You wonder if they offered it without doing this, you know, you know, going through the physical process. And when the Mets had it, 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 it was almost like Boris knew the Giants were going to balk, and he kind of had this Mets thing, I think, already in the works. Because I don't know if Carlos really wanted to go to San Francisco. I mean, if you remember, you know. If I can make a football analogy, if you remember when I believe Eli Manning was drafted by what the uh, 
by the Chargers. And his dad's like, well, my son's going to play for the Giants. He's not going to play for the Chargers. I, I was wondering if it was like not buyer's remorse, but player's remorse. Like, oh, crap, I don't want to play in, in I don't want to play in San Francisco if I could play in New York. But there's got to be something in the physical that, that we're not seeing. I don't know if it's the back because that hasn't been reported. But to me, it seems like there's something that's there that they're not telling us. Like, like someone's not being 100% with us because it's odd that the Mets would also be balking. So it's got to be several different things in there that we're not aware of. And the thing that pops in my mind, and once again, we don't have the answers because you're, you're correct. Somebody's not being honest because it's just being told in vague terms why the Giants decided not to go and finalize the deal the day they were supposed to have the press conference. They they had hesitation, right? And now the Mets, who swooped in and were like, oh, not a problem. Here's $315 million in only 12 years. And that deal still is yet to be signed. It has to be the length of the deal is what pops in my mind, Brett, that they're concerned about some type of condition that's not going to allow him to play for the length of the contract. That's the thing that that pops right into my mind. Yeah, it seems like it must be some sort of degenerative condition. And if if it's to do with a broken leg back in 2014, if it's that, there must be somebody telling them from the medical side that, you know, after four or five years, like he's gonna he's gonna really start seeing negative effects. I mean, I, I'm not a sports medical doctor or sports medical scientist, but there's gotta be something telling these teams that look, your investment is great maybe through four, five years, but after that this this ankle is really gonna start start showing signs of wear and tear. Um, I know, yes, uh, last year he slid into second, and they said he kind of hurt his leg, and it's been rumored that he's he's adamant about not stealing bases because he's nervous about re-injuring the leg. But my thing is, is, I've never heard anything about that until he went into free agency. So Correct. You're, 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 I just, I don't... I don't know. Like maybe, maybe Manfred and and Major League Baseball's office has something here when they when they tell teams quit making things public before they're official. Like, <laughs> like why do you brag about it? You roll things out, just let it happen. I I don't see why a team would not have gone through the physical process with the player of of, of his prestige and prestige for signing without having the details all, like, wrapped up. And then, okay, we're good. Now let's announce it. Let's go full full, full speed ahead with yeah, this. But, because but, Brett, my, the, my, my, my thing is, why would the team even – I think the teams are caught off guard because – maybe not in the Mets' case, but in the Giants' case, why would you think there's something wrong long-term with a 27-year-old? Yeah, right, it's. I mean, there has to be something in that in that medical, and I'm and I'm purely speculating that talks about something that's degenerative, something that that him him going to break down, you know, so many years into it. I just, I don't know. Like, you know, we we in Houston thought that okay, you know, there there's maybe a back issue, all this stuff, but there's apparently something in these medicals that Boris 
and Correa's camp is not letting out there, and they haven't been fully up front. And maybe Pete Petula, who was you know president of Astros Player Development from 16 and 19, maybe Petula started asking questions because he knew of some things there, and they started really like digging into these things. So there's there's the devils in the details, I guess, is the best phrase you can use with this Carlos Correa saga, because it's really strange. I really thought once the Mets announced they would have signed them, it was a done deal. And nope, it's it's on hold. And, you know, I predicted him going to the Orioles, and someone's like, you know what, your prediction of him going to the Orioles may not may not be off because he may end up signing somewhere else besides the Mets now. And it's just really strange to be honest with you. It's something I didn't see coming. Do you anticipate – the deal whenever he does sign something, it being quite shorter than what it initially was? Yeah, I would I would think a club would have to do a maybe a five year deal with maybe a six year club option. But there's gonna be I bet there's gonna be some sort of club option in there just because the club's gonna want the want the ability to opt out if things go south, you know, quicker than they think. It's just a you know, that six-year, $190 million deal or $160 million deal, whatever the, whatever the Astros had offered him, is starting to look like the best deal that he could have gotten. And, you know, the Astros did sign, did offer to sign him, you know, to keep him here. And maybe there's something to be said other than Jim Crane won't sign longer than five-year deals as to why they wouldn't offer him more than that. Well, the Astros offered him a $100 million-plus deal instead of the Twins, and he, he... – uh, walked away from both of those deals. So now, now he sits. Now he sits in limbo. We're talking with Brett Chancy, uh, co-host of the Locked On Astros podcast. All right, let's turn the attention to the Strohs. It's been a what I would call a quiet off season for the reigning World Series champs. They did address a couple of needs. They locked up their World Series bullpen. Got him on a, a the one guy that was going to be hitting free agency. Locked him up. They address first base by bringing in a player that they have flirted with and have coveted in the past in Abreu from the White Sox. And they're able to re-sign a, definitely a clubhouse leader and a guy who's also, when healthy, a very good bat in Michael Brantley Jr. Do you believe they are done here in free agency? I believe they are done until the trade deadline. I don't I don't see them making any other moves right now. All the prospects to quote unquote um upgrade the catching position when I say prospects, you know, guys that that they were eyeing, guys that were they were targeting all, you know, pretty much coming off the board except for I don't know if I don't know if, if um if Barnhart has signed, but to me at this point the Astros stand pat. They have twenty million in cap room to be able to do something significant at the trade deadline. They have plenty of young outfielders that if they shine in AAA or if they come up and have, you know, some really good at-bats here in the major leagues, they've got trade pieces they can trade. And I don't know who those would be. It would be interesting. I think it would be great for for the Astros to even add another starting pitcher like a Johnny Cueto that's out there. But I think they want to keep the room under the CBT to be able to do something significant at the trade deadline to see where they are. But I'm completely fine with the Astros with where they are. They they addressed 
you know, the left field. They addressed um, the first base situation, and they're clearly going to have Diaz or Lee as the backup catcher going into 2023. I think they'll be fine. Um, I know people in the offseason think that you have to spend the most money to win, and that doesn't always equal success. What about bringing back Yuli Gurriel? The only way you would bring back Yuli Gurriel is on a limited role because of the signing of Jose Abreu. He is at the point in his career, 39, where it doesn't make sense to make him a utility player, even though he did come up a third baseman. He hasn't really played second base. And he wants a multi-year deal. Now, he just um, hired Jose Abreu's agent. That doesn't necessarily mean he comes back to the Astros, but it means that he's really trying hard to get a two- or three-year deal. And I don't think the Astros are going to be willing to offer him that. I'm thinking the Astros may offer him one year, but it would be a reduced role. It would be a utility role. And even then, if you're looking at defensive metrics, it wouldn't make sense to sign him to a deal where he's your your utility player when you have David Hensley and you have others, you know, you have also Mauricio Dubon on the payroll who, who can fill a utility role. If you don't bring back Yuli, that only leaves what? Two guys from the first World Series title from 2017 and Bregman and Altuve left, correct? Well, you, well and, and you have Lance McCullers Jr. That's true, because so. you brought him back. That's right. That's right. right. But – but no, right, you you only have a few left, and look, the Astros lost another big name in Justin Verlander, right? But what do we see the Astros do? They they just basically reload and go out there and play baseball, and, and hopefully they can run it back. And that's why you brought Dusty Baker back. That's why you shoot – that's why you show confidence in your club and not going out and spending money. The puzzling thing is – Jim Crane said, we're going to spend, we're going to go through the CBT, we're not holding back, but yet he hasn't done that. And while I'm not saying you have to go spend, it is odd that Crane would say that publicly but not reach that threshold or go through it and make some moves. And and that's where I think some Astros fans are, are worried about the quote-unquote lack of moves that they've that they've made. Not that they haven't spent the money, but that the owner said, we're going to spend the money, we're going to go out and do this, and they haven't actually done it. So you wonder why that statement was made, and if the trade deadline is that time where he kind of breaks the bank, does he make another Verlander-type, you know, you know, mega deal at the trade deadline? But to wrap up the conversation, Brett, He's never been one to spend a, a, a ton of money. Even his own star players, he re-signs on what is relatively speaking affordable deals for the team, right? So in his mind, he'd be like, well, I'm spending money. And his offer to Verlander may have been what he views as a lot of money. And Verlander was like, well, that's not nearly enough money. So it could just be a guy's perception of spending money is really different than what the fan's perception of spending money is. Oh, no, exactly. And that's, you know, and that's, for me, I'm perfectly fine with it. I'm just, you know, taking the temperature of the fan base right now. You know, that's 
when I have conversations with people, I ask them, hey, you know, how do you feel about the Astros offseason? They're like, well, didn't Jim Crane say he was going to spend all this money? And I'm like, well, he really did. He really did spend quite a bit of money. I mean, he, they are a top 10 payroll. This illusion that you have to be in this ridiculous, you know, you have to break into the tax bracket where, like, what Cohen, if, if they sign Correa, will be on the hook for, like, like $112 million tax. Oh. Um, is just unreal, and that's that's like uh, that's barely over two percent his net worth. So Cohen's like, yeah, whatever, you know, it's chump change for him. But the Astros just stand pat with them, go into spring training with what you got, believe that this team is poised. I mean, look, the Yankees spent a lot of money; they re-signed a player for a long-term deal. They got Rodon. But the pitchers they have on that staff are all 0-6 against the Houston Astros in the playoffs. I think I'm okay with where the Astros are, and I'm very confident in their standing in their preseason um, predictions of being the favorite to win the American League and get back to the World Series. Yeah, and I think, just to follow up your point, Brett, there's also maybe just a little concern that the two guys that you brought in, that you, that you made sure to sign this offseason – are two guys that are on the tail end of their careers. You didn't get any younger in left field. You didn't get any younger, really, at first base. And your catcher position it didn't get all that younger either. So it, that's the only thing, right? I mean, but if you're the Strohs, you look at that and you go, hey, you know what? We're trying to win back-to-back here. We don't care what this guy, what these guys are going to look like in two years. We only care what they look like in 2023. Yeah, and I think that's what Crane is thinking. I, th- I think Crane is in a win-now situation. And um, we had David Sampson on the show, former um, Marlins president, and he he said, you know, the Abreu deal was probably like, look, we, we want to pay you two years for 60, but because we're not willing to do that, we're going to give you this third year. Basically, consider this contract two years for 60-something million, and then the third year is just icing on the cake and bonus. And he said sometimes as an ownership group, that's how you get these deals done. You know, Abreu's a great signing because he is a workhorse. He has a strong body, and he has basically, I I believe he's made 94% of his games or at-bats like he's been there. So he's a player that doesn't have an injury history, and I think he's going to fit in well with the clubhouse. So the Astros – Again, I'm confident with where they are, and I think that they will do great. I think these next couple of years, you're going to see some of the same results. And who knows? Maybe they go back-to-back. I know it's difficult to do in, in Major League Baseball, but I don't think the Mets are a surefire bet like everybody thinks they are. I don't think the Yankees really got much better offensively. And, I mean, other clubs are starting to catch them, and, you know, other clubs are getting better. But it's still the Astros – um, American League to lose because they clearly are on top going into the regular season. And maybe you can just take that extra money and uh, give Kyle Tucker the extension that fans want him to have. Brother, I got to let you go. Uh, enjoy the holiday weekend coming up. Happy New Year to you and yours, brother, and we'll talk to you soon, my friend. Yeah, definitely. Um, Happy New Year to everybody in Louisiana, and I hope that everybody's had a blessed holiday. And just make sure that you check out us on YouTube, and we are two episodes away from our 1,000th episode. So check us out and um, 
and we appreciate the continued support. And as always, go Stros. Brett Chancy with the Locked On Astros podcast. Some great insight there about Carlos Correa, his contract situation. It's a, it's a puzzle. And what about, you know, how the shows have been handling themselves? We got to take a timeout. We'll come back. We'll update the poll question of the day. We'll look at the updated NFL standings now that Monday Night Football is in the books. Chargers punch their ticket to the playoffs. That probably takes them out of the Sean Payton sweepstakes. We'll talk about that next right here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. RP3 grew up dreaming of one day playing right field for the Atlanta Braves. Just like his hero, Dale Murphy. I wanted to grow up and be Dale Murphy. Little Raymond, though, wasn't quite the caliber of athlete of his childhood hero as his lone highlights as a ball player were being beamed. Twice. In the head. That actually explains a lot. Back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Man, the folks over at Lafayette Marble and Granite, Chris and his team, they do a tremendous job. Look, they handled the bathroom remodel that we had a few years ago at our house. They had the exact marble that my wife had been looking for. I can't tell you how many different places we went to. (laughs) And she was not happy until we went to LMG. And then she found the exact marble she wanted. And then the customer service was even better than their selection. Look, they want to have the opportunity to earn your business. And trust me, earn it. That's exactly what they're going to do. You've heard me tell you before. They have more than just show-stopping marble countertops for their kitchens, bathrooms, and man caves. No, 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 no. They also, also have an extensive selection of custom showers. That's right, custom shower builds, grout-free showers, no muss, no fuss, and especially no odor. Make sure to visit their website, lmgelite.com. That's lmgelite.com to learn more about all the sensational services and the great products they have to offer. Live inventory is updated every single Wednesday. Visit lmgelite.com or stop by their soon-to-be-renovated showroom located right there on I-49 North across from Hub City Ford and the Jockey Lot. It's Lafayette Marble and Granite. They're looking to earn your business, and hey, trust me, earn it, they will. Poll question of the day. How was your Christmas holiday? Was it great, good, crappy, or other? Right now, 50% of you said it was great. 50% say good. No votes for crappy. Ralph on the Twitter says, I can't imagine what's better than great or worse than crappy. Other? Question mark. By the way, did an actual employee or their mom win the tree decorating contest? Oh, ho, ho, ho. yes, we had the tree decorating contest where we posted photos of the tree at the Parch household, the tree at the Miguez household, the tree at the Hannah Five Names household, and then the tree at James Mesh's household. And the actual results, voting is closed, correct? Yes. That's a done deal. Is we do have a winner. Correct? I say we have a winner. The boys don't. I don't I don't understand. Votes or votes, how can there be a difference in opinion when it comes to votes? 
that's not that's not an explanation. And me reading and counting the numbers up by reading the numbers on every single platform we have minus TikTok because I didn't know how to do that or what I wanted to do for that. It was that Matt won seventeen, then James at fifteen, and you and I both won. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to the <laughs> folks hating our Christmas trees. Thank you. Um, but the boys don't want to continue to argue about it and say, "Well, I had this on this, and I have." I'm like, I don't. You know what? I have a hole in my house, sir. Leave me alone. So me and me and Ray were not putting up with the shenanigans of the two boys arguing about who won. So we're gonna say crunch time won. Crunch time's your winner. Yes, and if you didn't know. Somehow, James is the one who didn't put any effort into his Christmas tree. Because his mommy did it. Yes. <laughs> he said he took it down, and they think right away he was at work. <laughs> oh, JPK the OD says, how is this Christmas holiday going? He says, it's ongoing. My man is still celebrating the holidays. It's on like Donkey Kong. Darren says, just chilling. With a gift from The Shining, of course. Once again, shout out to Darren for being in Shreveport to rep the Cajuns for the Independence Bowl because it was slightly, slightly cold. It was just a bit frigid over the weekend. NFL, only two weeks left in the regular season. And believe it or not, the Saints still have a chance to make the playoffs. (laughs) Unbelievable. Unbelievable how that turned out. Now, they, they're going to have to win out to make it happen, and they need some help, but they still have a chance. But you look at the updated playoff standings as it stands right now. Philly, they're in 13-2 and despite the loss to the Cowboys. They're good to go, right? They've clinched a, they, they've clinched a playoff berth. Below them is Minnesota, who's won already the NFC North. At 12-3, and three. San Francisco, I told you guys about the 49ers. I don't care who's at quarterback. This is a well-coached team that plays defense and runs the football. Those are teams that are usually built for the postseason. They have won the NFC West. They're in at 11-4. and four. Tampa is still your leader in the clubhouse for the NFC South. They haven't clinched it as of yet. Still two weeks to go. And by the way, they're 7-8. and eight. Woof. Dallas, they're a wild-card team. But I have questions about the Cowboys. They fought, and they took down Philly. Great win for them. Jalen Hurts didn't play, though. Just want to point that out. But do you believe in Dallas to go on the road and win a wild card game? Is that what you believe? I don't know. I just don't know. And as Ralph pointed out on Twitter, hearing that Jerry Jones is really afraid of losing a chance to hire Sean Payton, if McCarthy goes one and done in the playoffs, he's going to make a big push. I believe that as well. If Dallas goes one and done, they're eliminated in their first playoff game. Is Jerry going to mess around? I don't know. Still in if the playoffs began today. Giants at eight and six and one. Washington seven, seven and one. And now Seattle seven and eight. The Seahawks have the tiebreaker over Detroit based on head-to-head win percentage. The Lions did not do themselves any favor after getting trucked over the weekend. They still have a chance. They're 7-8. and eight. But in the NFC, Seattle, Detroit, Green Bay are all 7-8 and eight and all vying for essentially that final playoff spot. Don't forget this year, it's eight teams out of each conference. The top seed gets the bye, so it'll be 2-8-3-7, right? Am I doing the math right there? Yeah. I don't know. 
I was told there'd be no math. I'm trying to do the math in my head, and it's a struggle bus. No, it's the seven, right? Yeah, right? Yeah, seven teams in. There we go. It was a long weekend. <laughs> there could have been some damage to the old brain up in Shreveport exposed to the elements. But Seattle, Detroit, and Green Bay are all fighting to sneak in. Washington looks like they're fading a little bit. They don't know who they're going to be playing at quarterback. Is it going to be Heineke? Is it going to be Wentz this week? The Giants look like they're still going to be good to go in the NFC. Over in the AFC, things have changed a little bit. Buffalo and Kansas City are going to battle it out for the one seed. Cincinnati keeps ascending. They're 11-4. They've already clinched a playoff berth as well, even though they have not won the division as of yet because Baltimore is right there behind them at 10-5. Jacksonville has now taken over, believe it or not, the AFC South from the Tennessee Titans. Still two weeks to go. They haven't clinched the division. They haven't clinched a playoff berth. But right now, they hold the tiebreaker over Tennessee based on head-to-head win percentage. Baltimore has clinched a playoff berth. They're in. Even if they don't win the division, they're in. The Chargers last night, they clinched a playoff berth as well with their win over Indianapolis. The Colts are an absolute dumpster fire. Miami is still right now in in the seventh spot. They're eight and seven. Despite them fading, losing four straight games, and now Tua has another concussion. Looks like it suffered earlier in the game, and they didn't pull him out, so now he's got another concussion. He's in protocol again. Oh, man, Miami. They have the pieces, but they have not played well the last four weeks, let some games get away from them. But the Dolphins still have a chance to get in. Behind them, Patriots, Jets, Titans, Steelers, are all seven and eight. So these final two weeks of the regular season, man, they're going to go a long way to determine division winners. They're going to go a long way to determine who's going to get into the postseason, who's not going to get in. Can't wait. Got to love the NFL. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we'll shift back to college. Raging Cajuns come up just a little short of beating Houston in the Radiance Technologies Independence Bowl. We'll recap it for you. That's coming up next right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. RP3 came to the station this morning to do only two things. Kick some ass and drink some beer. Looks like we're almost out of beer. Well, it's kind of early for the latter, isn't it? Maybe. Probably. Maybe just a root beer. Or some flavored water. Back to more kick-ass sports talk with RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. NBA fans, DraftKings Sportsbook is my go-to when betting on the NBA this holiday season. I love diving into those same-game parlays, player prop options. You know me. I love to throw a little money down on who's going to get a double-double for the Pels. Hey, with injuries being out, hey, C.J. McCollum, Valachunas, other guys have stepped up. That makes things far more interesting for the Pelicans right now. And look, also right now, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving Louisiana NBA fans a special gift. For a limited time, you can get a no-sweat bet on every New Orleans Pelicans game this December. 
This month, everyone can earn a no-sweat bet with DraftKings Sportsbook. Head to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, opt in under the Promos tab, and place an eligible bet of your choice on a New Orleans game. If it doesn't hit, you'll get your money back in a free bet. That's right. You're going to get your money back in a free bet. Simply download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now. New customers can sign up with promo code 1037 game that's 1037 game and get a no sweat bet on every new orleans pelicans game this december go to the DraftKings sportsbook app opt in today to receive this limited time offer only at DraftKings sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the nba must be 21 years of age to play physically present in louisiana select parishes only max reward limits apply one free bet issued based on amount of initial losing bet Eligibility restrictions do apply. See terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash basketball terms. Licensee partner Golden Nugget Lake Charles and gambling problem. Hey, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Louisiana Raging Cajuns come up short in the Radiance Technologies Independence Bowl, falling 23-16. to Frigid conditions in this ball game for sure, but the Cajuns came in with a good game plan. Chandler Fields looked really good early, especially on that first drive where he completed his first five passes. Then threw the touchdown to Johnny Lumpkin in the corner of the end zone. Sensational throw, sensational catch. And Chandler gave Houston some fits when it comes to rolling out of the pocket and throwing on the run. And the Cajuns were able to build up a nice lead. They get that first touchdown. And then Kenny Almaderas puts on a show You know how hard it is to kick field goals? Kick the football in sub-20-degree weather? It's like kicking a rock. It's like kicking a cinder block. And that guy went out there and kicked two 42-yard field goals in the second quarter and then added another one, a 32-yarder, before halftime. And the Cajuns, guess what? They were up 16-6 at the break. Did a nice job. They did a very nice job keeping Dana Holgerson's high-powered, air-raid-style offense, because he comes from that coaching tree, the Mike Lee coaching tree, in check. But then the turnovers happened. And Houston made some changes, tweaked some things defensively. They pitched a shutout in the second half against UL. And the Cajuns gave up 17 points in the second half. And really, the killer in this game was the fumble, the second one by Chris Smith. Neither one led to immediate points. So it's not as if the Cougars took those fumbles that Chris had and turned them right into points. But what did happen is they left points on the board, specifically with the second one. If he doesn't fumble there, they win the game. Because they're, they, Kenny was automatic, even in the conditions. He would have got him three more points and would have flipped the field a little bit. And Houston was able to flip the field position in in the second half as they pull out the 23-16 win. Cajun 6-7. And And for me, this reminds me eerily similar to Billy's first year. They were up and down. They were inconsistent. They get to the bowl game. But the difference is that team finished 7-6. And they got embarrassed by Tulane in the Cure Bowl. This team finishes 6-7 and but didn't get embarrassed by Houston. They fought hard. They nearly won the game. That's the difference between the two for me. 
But obviously, disappointing end to the season. And, you know, for this team, it basically boiled down to them making some mistakes. But even with a disappointing loss, even when they had a game, they let get away from them, and that happened a few times this year, this, this year right? Against Troy, against South Alabama, against ULM. Those are games they should have won, but they didn't. Coach Dez talked about just how proud that he was of this group. You know, it's a tough way to lose it. You know, um, comes down to the end, and I, you know, our team wanted it really badly for these guys right here. Um, you know, this senior class is a special group, and they've done a lot for the University of Louisiana. More than what they've done on the field, they've always represent, represented it with class, um, and that I'm proud of. Uh, I'm proud of this group tonight. You know, we went out there and, and you know, just call it what it is, you know, down a couple guys, and this group just said it doesn't matter. It's the next guy up, and we're going to go out there, and we're going to fight, and we're going to play. And, um, and they did that, and we had a chance to win in the end. You know, you make, two, make a couple mistakes down there in critical situations, and it costs you a win. But um, I've never been more proud of this group than I am right here. Um, proud to be their coach, and um, I'm excited to see what the future holds for them because I know that they've got great things ahead of them. Look, the, the the mistakes were killer. The last fumble in particular was absolutely brutal. And and Coach Des kind of went back on that again because when he was asked, you know, look, what adjustments did Houston make in the second half that kept you guys off the board? He, he circled back to, you know, they made their own mistakes. Well, I mean, the field position flipped a little bit. Um, you know, I, I don't know if it was so much them as it was us kind of misfiring, you know, get to third and inches and we get a 15-yard penalty, puts you at third and, fifth, or third and 15. Um, you know, you turn the ball over as soon as you get a possession going. I think more than anything, I think our offense got going a little bit. Um, you know, and their quarterback, he's as good as advertised, played really well. Um, you know, their offense, I think, in the first half had a hard time getting going. We were able to sustain drives, keep them off the field, and get some points on the board third quarter was field position was out of whack the whole time for us um couldn't get drives to get it out and then in the fourth quarter you know you put a drive together you go down and turn it over you know in the goal zone right there and and the, you know those are things that you know i mean when you play a team like them you know you got to put points on the board and you know you got to be able to sustain it the whole game and um you know making critical mistakes like that that are self-inflicted whether it be a turnover or a penalty that puts you in a bad position those things are just you know, you can't do that and expect to win. And, um, you know, it, it did cost us an end. Mistakes really cost them. And then something interesting happened in this game. Chandler had played so well. He, he finished the night 17-25, of 25, 169 yards and one touchdown, wasn't sacked. He was efficient. He looked sharp. He's always dangerous when he rolls out because he can extend a play. But we got to see... Zion Chris play meaningful snaps and it was curious because the former Madison prep star the guy that appears to be the heir apparent the future three-year starting quarterback for the Louisiana Raging Cajuns at least that's what they're hoping got into the game and he started moving the offense there late we found out why Chris who ended up going four of six for 25 yards but also made some big plays with his legs rushing for 26 yards on four carries why he was even in the ball game yeah i mean 
So, so Chandler did get hurt. Um, he came in the locker room when he came back out. Uh, you know, I wasn't putting him back in a situation that he can't go and play the way he needs to play. He played great tonight. And, um, you know, we trust Zion. We believe in him. These guys do too. I mean, we just there, there's no point putting a kid in a position where he can't go out and play the way he wants to play. And then he's really going to get hurt to the point where it's, you know, an extended period of time. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, offensively, I felt like we've gotten better all year. Uh, you know, we've kind of found our, our groove a little bit, and the quarterback plays critical, key to it. We were able to throw the ball effectively early until we got some run game going. Um, but, you know, the, the bottom line is that you got to put points on the board when you have those situations, and you can't settle, you know, settle for a field goal a couple times in the first half. Um, you know, those are things that, especially when you play an offense like these guys, you know they have the ability to score pretty quickly. Um, it always puts, you know, you got to continue to put a little pressure on them. Uh, you know, getting the three points for half was big. Turn around, they go score right the first drive of the third quarter. And then, the, like I said, the third quarter, we just kind of, we couldn't sustain any drives to kind of eat some clock and get it going. So I think that's where it shifted a little bit in the third quarter. And then the fourth quarter, you know, it kind of turned into a little bit of a dogfight. And uh, we just made a couple mistakes there that, that they didn't, you know, and that's kind of the, the story. You see him, he keeps circling back. It was on them. They did settle for the three field goals. If they take one of those drives and turn it into a touchdown and Chris Smith doesn't have the fumble, they win this ball game. But what's interesting for the Cajuns, they fought hard. They lose, yes, but they have a great signing class, early signing period. They're going to move forward from that. But what are they going to do at quarterback? Because they are in the same position that LSU is in. LSU has Jane Daniels coming back, Garrett Nussmeyer, Walker Howard, right? The Cajuns have Ben Woolridge, who they like as their starter, but he got injured and had to miss the rest of the year. Chandler Fields was the guy that lost his job to Ben. And we got to see Zeon Chris who's the future. Interesting how spring football is going to pan out for the Raging Cajuns in the quarterback room. Are all three of those guys still going to be on the roster for next fall? We do live in the era of the transfer portal. we got to take a timeout. We'll wrap up hour number two coming up right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Whole question of the day. How was your Christmas holiday? 63% of you say good. 37% say great. No one says crappy, which is a good thing. No one says other. You guys always complain about not having other as an option, yet no one's voting for other. Let's get to some comments. Salty Steve, our buddy. How can you be salty at Christmas time? Question mark. Great is the only answer. Thank you, Steve. Thank you. Now, New Year's is another story. Drunks, fireworks, and resolutions are the worst. (laughs) I actually agree. I'm not a big fan of New Year's. Never have been. Not a big fan of celebrating New Year's Eve. I just think, I don't know. It's just not my thing. It's just not my thing. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. Hour number two in the books. Hour number three. Jimmy G from the LC. That's right. The great Gazzolo will be joining us. That's coming up next. We're going to talk all things McNeese right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Oh, yeah. 
Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. on your clock on this chilly Tuesday morning, December 27th. Two hours are in the books here on RP3 and Company. And we've had a good show so far. We've talked New Orleans Saints actually getting a win. Back-to-back wins for the first time all season. What? Nothing like giving that fan base false hope. We broke that win down in Cleveland. We also talked about the Louisiana Raging Cajuns coming up short in the frigid conditions at the Independence Bowl, where yours truly was able to survive, not having any restrooms in the press box and having to go down to the bottom floor with a broken elevator to get food. I survived. Kevin Foote, he barely survived. But we were able to pull footsie through, not to worry. (laughs) Not to worry. Also talk to New Orleans Pelicans. They got... Their third win in the row did so without four starters in the lineup, and we'll break that down more with Ali Cassell when he joins us half an hour from right now to talk all things New Orleans Pelicans basketball. But right now, it's time for us to talk McNeese. Typically, the early signing period, the last five years since it was created, has been regulated for the big boys, Power 5 conference teams. But Gary Goff said, I don't care. I have holes to fill. I'm going to get my guys. I'm going to get quarterbacks, wide receivers, DBs, and everything else under the sun. And I'm going to sign more than 20 guys during the early signing period. Half of them, more than half of them, will be able to enroll early. That way I can have them in for spring. To break down Gary Goff's signing class is our good friend, the man who covers the McNeese Cowboys for the Lake Charles American Press and the host of Poke Nation and the McNeese Coaches Show, Jimmy G from LC, the great one himself, Jim Gazzolo, joins us. Now, Jim, hope you had a tremendous Christmas weekend, my friend. How are you, bud? I'm fine, Raymond. Thank you for calling me on this beautiful day. (laughs) You're quite welcome. How are the folks? Seriously, Always a pleasure to have Raymond call on Tuesday mornings. Oh, always a pleasure, he says. I sense a sarcastic tweet later. So never, never, <laughs> and a and a passive aggressive text message possibly. So possibly, let's, possibly, yeah, that's possible. Let's go back to last week. How surprised were you that Gary Golf was as aggressive as he was, and the fact that he was able to sign far more than twenty guys during the early signing period? I'm not surprised that he was trying to be aggressive. I am shockingly surprised he got the amount of numbers he got. Um, He told me the week before that if he could get 14 to 15, he thinks he could surprise people and have a really good day. He came close to doubling that. So I think um, he got what he was trying to do. He made inroads. We, we've now seen what he's establishing. 
He's establishing a perimeter around McNeese. He got a couple of local guys. Uh, he got his quarterbacks. He got into Houston and Texas in general and made some inroads there. And if you talk to some high school coaches, um, he's been impressive in the fact that they like what they heard from him. And that has not always been the case. Uh, they did like Frank Wilson. Obviously, they had history with Frank Wilson. But before that, they weren't they weren't sold on uh, Mr. Gilbert and some others. So uh, he made some inroads where he needed to. I liked the footprint of his kind of recruiting style. Go hit the JUCOs in Mississippi hard. That's what a lot of Power 5 teams do. He does yeah. that. He recruits his own backyard, gets the kid in particular from Barb to, to stay home. And leave, he, it, leave it, yes. Right, and he goes into Texas, recruits Beaumont, Port Arthur, Houston. Uh, I, I thought he did a very nice job. But let's start off with the quarterbacks because he signed two guys. We talked about him wanting to bring in guys that he knew could run his system because he didn't have that on the roster last season. He played four different quarterbacks, and it really they were just a running team. Tell us about the well, two. they became a running team. Yeah, they, yes, they, 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 they became a running team. Yes. Tell us uh, what what stands out to you about the two guys that he signed coming out, one out of D2 and the other one out of uh, JUCO and Iowa State. I think uh, the thing he talked about going into this, and obviously Nick Lance is, is the guy from Iowa State, that he's the guy. Let's be realistic about it. He's the one that's the junior college player of the year two years ago, or, or in 2020. He has three years left of eligibility. He lost the starting job at Iowa State, says he just wants to play. Um, didn't get caught up in going to another Power 5 conference uh, team. I think that what, what strikes me, and, and you talked about it too a little bit when we talked about it last week, was the differences between the two guys. One, predominantly a drop-back quarterback, who he seems to favor at times to run his offense. But then he comes back with the, the guy from Division Two, who's a dual threat. And that is kind of what we had last year, ironically, in the Cam Ransom-Nox uh, Kadem duo. But this is different because both of them have had experience on the field. And what he said and why he hit the junior colleges really hard was he had to come in last year and had to take people by their word almost. And what he didn't really get to see people. He wanted to see tape on people. He wanted to see people play in person. He wanted a resume of stats to go with the guys he was bringing in here because he knew this is a great opportunity for McNeese to flip this with four new coaches in the conference. And he got his guys, and, and you and I discussed this. You're right. You just take you on your word instead of going the route of, hey, this is a guy that couldn't be the starter or a backup at a Power 5 school, and he, you know, he's obviously good enough because he was there and he needs to come down, instead of going yeah. that route, which they did with three different guys last year, they're going yeah. with guys that actually have tape, right? And, and yeah. tape matters. <laughs> and Gary can actually see, okay, these guys are actually capable of running our offense and what we're wanting to do. And for this program to take that next step, the, the offense cannot be handcuffed by mediocre quarterback play. It just can't. 
can't be limited, no. And that that's the thing is tape, you know, we've all talked about it. Everybody that's ever played a football game in their lives says tape doesn't lie. Um, it exposes the reality of the situation. It shows your flaws as much as your abilities. And that's what he wanted to see. And I think that also we saw some other things. Uh, the kid from Scotlandville, Franklin, that's a huge get for McNeese. He was headed to Houston. I read one report where he was 90. He's a, he's a three-star, borderline four-star, who was headed to University of Houston. It, I think at one point in his recruiting, it was 95 or 96% on rivals. He was headed to Houston. And when he, when he flipped, everybody thought he was going to Southeastern. He ends up coming to McNeese. That is, to me, a huge flip of a high school kid. Ten high school kids, ten junior college kids, only four from the portal so far, uh, and only really losing one from the portal that that played substantial minutes. So he's a plus three in the portal this year. McNeese was usually a minus seven, minus eight in the portal year in and year out. So that's a big difference. Uh, I think the fact that he went and got six defensive backs, four from junior college, four that he saw play, uh, four that played deep into playoffs, I think that shows that he was also addressing needs as well. I was going to ask you that. Besides quarterback, is defensive back the biggest other, you know, uh, I'm sorry, the the second biggest win, so to speak, of this recruiting cycle for McNeese in golf? Um, I think that, but I, I, think the, I think the real win here, from what I'm hearing from people, is his ability to recruit high school coaches and get them on his side. Ooh. I think that might end up being long-term the biggest thing for McNeese in general. But, yeah, getting defensive backs that have played the game. You saw it last year with me. We had true freshmen, true redshirt freshmen at times, playing in the defensive secondary. I think at one point the defensive secondary had six guys on the field in a, in a dime situation, five of whom had never played a game before this year. So – that was the address that needed to be made, and they held up pretty well. So now he's got a base from last year, and he's supplanting with some talent that has experience. Uh, I, I think that's a big deal. Talking with Jim Gozzolo, he covers the McNeese Cowboys for the Lake Charles American Press. He's also the host of Pogue Nation and the McNeese Coaches Show. Of course, the latter you can listen to every Wednesday night from 6 to 7 right here on The Game. Let's talk about wide receiver because that's been a position of need for this team, do you feel like he addressed it? Well, he addressed it in numbers, but we've seen numbers before. Um, he went a little more high school with the, the wide receivers, which I thought was interesting. Um, but I think he likes a couple of kids, like McCall, that came back last year. The Levy kid, Josh Levy from um, Barb, is really an interesting case because he's smallish. You would say he's Mason Pierce almost to the T, and that is the one player who left um, the program by way of transfer portal that played a lot. So I think that he saw that as, I don't have a slot receiver, I don't have a true dynamic weapon. I can get this kid from Barb, who I've seen, because remember, Goff saw a lot of Barb games because his son played on Barb. So... He was also a wide receiver at Barb, so he knows what he's getting when it comes to Levy. That, I think, is an interesting take because they also moved Dylan Simon to that spot. So 
So now they've got a couple of weapons that they think maybe they can build on. And, and we see that he's trying to go too deep. He went and got some size. Um, I've, I've completely blanked on his name, but they got the kid from Texas who's 6'6". Six, six. They got some size. Um, his tra- one of his transfers uh, comes from Valdesta State, another kid that he knows very well. He talked about knowing a lot of these kids very well that he recruited, um, meeting their parents. All but one of them, I think, made a trip to McNeese for a visit. Uh, with and almost all of them brought their parents. So he was really big on what he was bringing in and the type of people he was bringing in. He didn't, he didn't want to get surprised like he did last year, I think. Last year he was also more desperate because he took over the job and yeah. had to, you know, add 50 guys to it. So, you know, beggars sure. can't be choosers. Uh, one more about the football team, Jim. How important is it that not only does he get all these guys assigned during the early period, but I do believe 14 or 15 of them are going to be early enrollees, which mean they will be on campus after the first of the year, and they will be there for spring football. I think that's big. He talked about it being big. Um, he talked about the fact that this is the first year where they're going to have a real offseason with, without a coaching change, without differences, without new philosophies. Everything will be the same. Um, but he really wanted to get the quarterbacks and receivers in. And he got a predominantly large group of those in with the defensive backs so they can work together. And I think that's the big thing. And he really is excited about the group of people he has that are hitting the weight room now because they didn't really get that chance last year. And I think the expectations are now known. Um, and, and I think they'll be, you know, we're, we're not going to, we're not going to have a first year coach going to the number four team in the country to open the season. And then an FBS school. <laughs> I mean, I think that that kind of, you look at the two seasons they had last year, break, break before the break, after the break. I think they were a much better team after the break. Granted, they didn't play the teams they played earlier in the break. So I want to see, was it just the competition or was there actual progress made? Yeah, and we're going to see that in spring, right? We're, we're going to see a little bit of that yeah. in spring because, you know, I think once this team gets its offense right, I think you're going to see a huge difference in what they can do. Now, let's switch over to the hardwood. Non-conference schedule is done. Everyone's going to be gearing up for conference play, which tips off this weekend. What's the expectation for John Aiken's team as they head over and make the short trip over to Beaumont for their conference opener against the Lamar Cardinals? That's a really good question. (laughs) I don't know what expectations are, um, but I know what's needed. And they need to finish fourth or no worse than fifth. And they need to win some tournament games because they're hosting the tournament. They need to see real progress, and they need to make it pretty quick. They've played some good games, um, but they haven't won a lot of games. So it's great that you can say, hey, we're within five or six of Baylor with a minute left in the first half, but you still lost by 30. Or, well, we played well at Middle Tennessee, but we didn't make our free throws. If we only made our free throws. Or if we had only held on to the ball against Western Carolina better. Okay, that's great, but we are seeing that those things are happening. So we've got to stop seeing those things happening. I think what we saw at the end of the non-conference is we saw them come up with a formula of how to play well against Louisiana. Against Southern Miss, he played fairly well against them. And those are two teams 
that played really well at that time. Both teams only had one loss when they played McNeese. I think what we're seeing is a lineup he trusts with the basketball. It's smaller. It has two point guards at times in, in O'Day and uh, Trey English. And I think he likes that lineup enough to where he can go with it, trust it, so that they're not going to turn the ball over 30 times in a game like they did at Iowa State. If they turn the ball over, they're not going to win. If they hold on to the ball, they got enough shooters where they can be competitive in the league, and a fourth-place finish I think would be pretty good for them. Brother, it's never a fourth-place finish for our show when you are gracing us with your presence. Oh, it's a non-qualified when I, <laughs> I show up. <laughs> oh, brother. Appreciate your time, D- Jim. The DFA coach's decision. DNP coach's decision. <laughs> oh, Don't oh, buddy. Got nothing but love for you, man. We'll talk to you later. Hey, how was how was, how was, how was the bowl game? With, uh, you get to you get you play the whole season to get that beautiful sunshine and great weather. How was that? It was phenomenal. Independent Stadium, elevator out, people trapped inside before the game, no restrooms, have to go down and use the porta-potties on the ground level. It was everything you'd hope Shreveport would be and more, my friend. How, how, who, who, how long were they trapped in the elevator? <laughs> a little while. They had to get it. They, they were in there for a little while. And then they got the elevators up and working, though, by halftime. There was some trepidation for you know using it at first. But after a few people went down it, I felt okay. All right, I'm glad. <laughs> oh, Jim Gazzella from the Lake Charles American Press, our buddy. We got to take a timeout. More of the game coming up right here on your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Want to join in the discussion with RP3? Then just give us a call on the hotline. You know the number. Two, four, niner, five, six, seven, eight. I can't hear you. You're trailing off. And did I catch a niner in there? Were you calling from a walkie-talkie? No need to be embarrassed. Just call us at 337-706-0111. Back to more RP3 and company on On the the game. game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. NBA fans, DraftKings Sportsbook is my go-to when betting on the NBA this holiday season. Yeah, Christmas may be in the rearview mirror, but you know what? New Year's is this weekend. And I love the same game parlays. I love the player prop options. Who's going to get a double-double for the Pels? Who's maybe even going to get a triple-double? Who's going to lead them in scoring? Right? Who's going to get enough rebounds over-unders with assists? There's so many games inside the games. That's what makes it so fascinating. And right now, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving Louisiana NBA fans a special gift. For a limited time, you can get a no-sweat bet on every New Orleans Pelicans game this December. That's right. Everyone can earn a no-sweat bet with DraftKings Sportsbook. Head to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, opt in under the Promos tab, and place an eligible bet of your choice on a New Orleans game. If it doesn't hit, guess what? You're going to get your money back free in a bet. That's right. Back in a free bet. 
Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now. New customers can sign up with promo code 1037GAME and get a no-sweat bet on every New Orleans Pelicans game this December. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app and opt in today to receive this limited-time offer. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, must be 21 years of age to play, physically present in Louisiana, select parishes only, max reward limits apply, one free bet issued based on the amount of initial losing bet, Eligibility restrictions do apply. See terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash basketball terms. Licensee partner Golden Nugget Lake Charles. And if you have a gambling problem or know someone that does, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Poll question of the day. We asked you, how was your Christmas? Yeah, it was frigid. Yeah, some of us here at the station had to deal with frozen pipes. Whether it was at our house or getting ourselves locked out of our house while trying to wrap the pipes, or having water pipes freeze at a stadium when we're covering a game. But it was still Christmas. Still got to spend time with your family. Still got to celebrate the season, the reason why we celebrate Christmas to begin with. So we asked you with our poll question of the day, how was your Christmas holiday? How was it? 56% of you say good, 44% of you say great, no votes for crappy, that's what I like to see, and no votes for other, other is always very popular, and when we don't have other as an option, we get fussed at, by you, there's fussing, there's fussing going on out there, if we don't provide the, the people with the other, it's a very popular choice when it comes to the poll questions. You know, it was so cold in my house that the root beer swig that the lovely Reynolds gave us for Christmas was frozen in my fridge. And the olive oil that he gave us and my own olive oil were frozen solid. <laughs> not That's not optimal. No. That's they not, just came down. They're, they're now liquid. That's not. Just started. That's not great. Just to let you know, that's not great. Oh, man. Yeah, it was cold. It was cold. It's only a bit. It was was a tad. It was like 42 degrees outside of my house. (laughs) It was a tad cold. But you know what? I see that as an opportunity. You see negative. (laughs) I see positive. When it gets frigid cold outside, that means it's time for hot cocoa with mini marshmallows with the family. Boom, check that off the list. That means you can wear your thermal underwear. Always comfortable means you can pull out your sweaters. Yay. Or, in the case of my wife, who received for Christmas from Baby Girl, was a very fluffy, plush blanket. And she hasn't stopped being bundled up in it the whole weekend. (laughs) This is now her go-to, her favorite blanket. And so, I mean, it gives you... look. You say, oh, yeah, it's cold outside. Yeah, okay, great. But you know what? Let's make the best of it. Yeah. I mean, I went on an entire scavenger hunt of Kenneth's niece's bedroom trying to find a jacket. She said she was cold. And I have no idea where any of her clothes are, and her parents weren't home. So he had to scavenge around the three-year-old's bedroom, and she goes, oh, it's right here. Ma'am, that, that's your pajamas. When I try <laughs> to make things fun on this show, you make them not fun. <laughs> it was a fun time walking around. She's like, it's right Trying here. Trying to find not. a jacket for a child. 
Yes. Who's cold. That is not a fun game. It was fun. She kept getting distracted. She was like, oh, Paw Patrol. And I was like, sign jacket. A child freezing is not fun. That's not a fun thing. We were going to have a separate discussion about expectations in the families. I mean, she had distracted, so we had to make an Oreo balls instead, which I meant to bring to you and foot today, and I forgot them in my fridge. Fail. I'll bring it tomorrow, though. Don't worry. Sorry. I say try to make the best and have fun. And you're like, you know what's fun? A child that's freezing that doesn't have a coat. And we couldn't find it. And we had to get the whole family involved to find said coat. Well, she had two that's layers on and she was still cold. So we walked back inside after being outside for two minutes. We walked back inside. We went around the house into her room to find the jacket. She couldn't find the jacket. And she kept giving me pants. And they were not jackets. Why isn't and the so child, we played Oreo balls. Why doesn't the child have the jacket on? When she initially goes outside. Because she wasn't cold. I said, you want to put a jacket on? She said, no. <laughs> I have t- questions. I have questions. She's very independent. She told me she couldn't be in the wedding at first. I said, you want to be my flower girl? She said, no, I can't. I'm only three. The three-year-old <laughs> was allowed to go outside in frigid temperatures without a jacket? It warmed up some, so it wasn't sure. like as cold. Sure. sure, No one needs to call I child protection surface, uh, services at, at all. At all. She made Oreo balls instead. She ate lots of chocolate. We have to take a timeout. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah, it was fine. It's fine. I'm sure. Child getting pneumonia. That's what, That's okay. When we come back here on RP3 and Company, we're going to talk New Orleans Pelicans. They've heated up of late, won three straight, including last night, without four starters. Winning a ball game by 20 points. We'll break it down with Ali Cassell. That's next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Pierre the Pelican and the King Cake Baby consider him a close personal friend. And we're the three best friends that anybody could have. We're the three best friends that anyone could have. Or at least a Facebook friend or MySpace friend. Is MySpace still a thing? I wonder what Tom is up to these days. He's desperate. He'd sleep with a meat grinder. Time for some more friendly Pelicans talk on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. With Christmas now behind us and New Year's just a few days away, you know what's up next? Mardi Gras. It's going to be here in no time. And you can get your Mardi Gras started the right way with a real fun run. Trail presents the Lundy Gras Barathon on Monday, February 20th. It's four miles through Freetown, just south of the parade route. Wear a costume and enjoy free drinks throughout the course served at the adult hydration station. A party bus is going to follow close behind so runners can jump aboard at any time, run all or some or none, or just be there to party. The audience will vote for the winner of the costume contest to bring your loudest, craziest friends. It's the Lunday Grawl Barathon. Free drinks, food, and prizes. Register now at latrail.org. That's latrail.org. New Orleans Pelicans. Oh, man, lots to get excited about there. They've won three straight and did so last night. Despite not having four starters in the lineup, and they still beat a pretty good Indiana Pacers team by 20 points. To break it all down for us is our friend, the editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights, Ollie Cassell, joins us now. Ollie, 
Good morning to you, brother. Hope your Christmas was phenomenal, my friend. Good morning, Raymond. It was. And the Pelicans, you know, gave me keep giving a present. You know, I figured I was done unwrapping them. But I'll tell you what, last night was really kind of a surprise. As you mentioned, a lot of guys out. But it doesn't even matter. Um, they're winning, whether it's in overtime like they did in OKC or winning big against, you know, some decent teams like the Pacers last night. Jackson Hayes started and contributed. I didn't think that was going to happen this year. That was not on my preseason Pelicans bingo card. What'd you make of the, hell, let's be honest, a guy that's barely been used, has been rotting on the bench, being thrust into the starting lineup and contributing? I'll be honest. I figured at some point he would help this team. He has every season of his career so far, and it's usually come out of nowhere and this time, you know, he didn't need a trip to the G League to, you know, turn turn that button on. But, boy, he's, his return to action and also contributing has been so timely, right? Zion's missed the last three games. A bunch of other guys have been in and out of the lineup. We haven't seen Brandon Ingram in a month. But his defense specifically is what this team, you know, has always needed. But he, he's now providing it. I mean, three first-half blocks last night. That really kind of set the tone. Uh, the Pelicans' defense, right? Najee Marshall shut, shut down Tyrese Halliburton, who completely, you know, destroyed them in early November in that matchup in Indiana. And Jackson Hayes, like like you said, he he was kind of at the forefront of everything, just like he was at OKC. Pelicans don't win that game, or maybe even last night, right? Because he set that tone um, without Jackson. So it's it's been great to see. And I'll tell you what, one through fifteen, you know, you you're, you're going to get something from these guys. It almost makes me think, Raymond. If you and I were to put on some Pelicans uniforms, heck, we, we, we might be contributing out there. I mean, anybody stepping out there right now is playing really well for him. Ollie, not to flex on you, but you are talking to someone <laughs> who led the KZ Westfield High School Intramural Basketball League back-to-back years in fouls. So I was known as the Bill Lambeer of the Intramural League. So that's what I bring to the table, Ollie. I bring some toughness. And uh, you know what? You think you're just going to easily go to in the paint and go to the bucket? Guess what's going to happen? You're going to get an elbow. You're going to get a foul. You're going to hit the ground, Ollie. That's what I bring to the table. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. The coaches will fix that quickly because uh, that's not <laughs> contributing to the win. <laughs> it, late 80s it would have been. Late 80s it would have yeah, been. But I know. It's a, different, it's a different time. It's a different time and place now, my friend. Najee Marshall, uh, we knew what he was capable of. And I just don't want to focus on last night, and he had a really good night offensively. But but he is a guy that seems to be a more consistent player for this team in year two under Willie Green. And this is a guy that can adjust easily from being the sixth man to being a starter, and it doesn't affect his game. That's been the most welcome thing, and that's something I did notice too this week. It doesn't matter whether the Pelicans are, are without, you know, key guys. He'll step right in and, you know, be one of the best playmakers on the night, one of the biggest scorers. I mean, we saw that last night. The 22 points was a career high. He made four three-pointers, tying a career high, shot the ball nine times from beyond the arc, and had four assists. So he, he stepped right into a big role, and he, he did really well. And that's something you've noticed this year because in the past, you know, he'd have a good possession followed by a bad possession. As you mentioned, the consistency wasn't there. Now, it's as though he knows exactly what he needs to do out there. When he catches the ball, if he's got a little bit of a lane, he's going to drive the ball. And he's really an adept scorer, right? He doesn't have the athleticism, but he's got the smarts. 
kind of like uh, you know manage Ginobili. Somebody plays below the rim, knows how to euro step his way into a uh, a basket, or he'll play make. I, I think he's found Jonas Valanciunas probably twenty times or so in the last three or four weeks. Right, he makes a drive, sees him, finds him, hits him for an easy bucket, and then you know everybody has to love everything else he provides. But I'll tell you what, the showmanship. Where did that come from, Raymond? I mean, he's now out there acting like Magic Johnson on a few passes last night. I'll tell you what, you, you really see what confidence does for a player, right? He came into the league probably thinking he was good, but didn't know how good. His play didn't really make you feel good that he's going to be a contributor on a winning team, right? I mean, let's be honest, his rookie year, he was up and down. Last year, he improved. He got into the rotation. But this year, well, he's taken yet another couple of steps and I don't know how he doesn't see 25 minutes a game because he really can do everything for you out there. Shut down Tyrese Halliburton on the defensive end, and we already just talked about his offense. He's been in, he's just been flat out spectacular. And he's a versatile guy, which Willie loves, right? I mean, and that's because when you have that guy that can do so many different things for you, that makes you have so much more flexibility as a coach with your rotation mm-hmm. right so you don't have to worry about and it does look like he pairs up really well with Van Lachunas. they they play they play together extremely well so this team has now won three straight kind of got back on track after the four game skid and the western conference is absolutely wide open we we kind of thought this was going to be the case heading into the season but when I look at this Denver, New Orleans, Memphis, L.A., Phoenix, Sacramento. There's really not that much difference between those teams. And then just a few games behind, half a game behind that is the Dallas, Portland, and Utah. And then Golden State has now gotten better. Um, Well, gotten back into the playoff hunt, so to speak, even though they're 3-7 and in their last 10. Why is the West so wide open? There's a million reasons. But easily, nobody's grabbed you know, the reins from start from the start of the season until now. Kind of like what, you know, Boston's done. Well, we're now seeing Brooklyn doing, right? How, how impressive has Brooklyn been out in the East? But for the Pelicans, you know, we see why. I mean, they haven't had no players playing the same game together for, uh, I believe, more than 10 times in 10 games a season. I mean, the starters, that's as many as they've played all season together, the regular starting lineup. And when you combine that with some really tough losses, right? I mean, had they, you know, I'm still going back to that Lakers game. Had they notched that one, maybe won a few more in overtime. Well, guess what? They would clearly be in first place by now. So I feel like that's been basically the resume for every team, you know, out West. Because Memphis has missed, has a, has a lot of guys missed a lot of time, including Desmond Bain, right? He missed about five weeks or so. So it's either been injury, you know, maybe some kind of inconsistent play. But you're right. No, nobody has separated themselves from the pack. But I feel like we may see that soon, Raymond. Because to me, I've watched Denver play a handful of games this year. We obviously watch the Pelicans. And you can't help but watch the Grizzlies with John Moran. I feel like those three teams are going to start pulling away from the rest of the pack. So unless maybe Kawhi Leonard comes back and play almost every game along with Paul George, I don't have much faith in the Clippers, right, becoming a 50-win team. Phoenix, I don't know what's going on with them, but I'll tell you what, they are just they don't look like what they had a couple of years ago, and now they've got Devin Booker out again. So I know it's tight now, but I think we're going to start seeing some separation. I think the Pelicans, like I said, are going to be one of those teams that, that move really ahead, start moving ahead. Who's the biggest disappointment in the West so far for you? I think it's got to be the Golden State Warriors. I know they just cracked in the 10th, um, but 
look, nobody expected a chance to be fighting just to keep, you know, what, stay in playing tournament, um, playing tournament picture. You could also maybe point to the Timberwolves, right, after making that big trade for the Rudy Gobert yeah. and getting as far as they did last year. But, no, I'm going I'm to stay with Golden State. I feel like they should be better, even though, you know, they've had guys in and out too. What about the East? Obviously, Boston, Milwaukee are a step above, and Brooklyn has been playing well. But I always get wary of a team that plays well after they fire a coach because you see it all the time in the NBA and the NHL. The coach becomes the scapegoat, and then it's, oh, the team plays well. Well, the team plays well. They have a sense of urgency because they feel like maybe they'll be the next ones out the door so the team actually comes together and plays for each other for a change, which is something Brooklyn hasn't done. Do you expect the Nets to be able to sustain that in the East? You know, they've got one of the best, if not the best player in the game, right? Kevin Durant. True. Kyrie Irving, if he's out there, and we've seen what he can do in the past, but I'll tell you what, he still looks like he's in his prime. So that tandem is fearsome. Uh, and the Pels are going to have a good look at it real soon, right? I think January 7th or 8th they play. Uh, but, yeah, I'm with you, Raymond, because they've got to do it for a full season. They've obviously got to be playing at this level entering the playoffs, and that's something they haven't done yet. So you still got to think Boston's ahead of them. Milwaukee, so I think, you know, we just saw Milwaukee. I think they're the team to beat in the East. Uh, the Celtics have fallen off a little bit. But I love a lot of teams out there. I think Cleveland's really underrated. They've been up and down a little bit after their really hot start. But I really like that top four in the East. And then, of course, you got Philly. And I don't know where the Knicks came from, but suddenly the Knicks look like they can play some basketball. Seven and three in their last 10 New York is, which is improving for them. We'll wrap it up with this. Who's the, your biggest disappointment in the Eastern Conference, and why isn't it my, the Miami Heat? They have, that, that's the one I've circled. They've had some bad losses this year. Oh. Um, they've gotten off to a rough start, and they've had Jimmy Butler enough times. But he's been in those games where they've lost. Same with Bam out of Bayou. Uh, and I'll tell you what, I don't really understand it. I just think that they don't have enough firepower. You know, when you look at him, Kyle Lowry's just old, and thank goodness the Pelicans dodged that bullet. Um, Tyler oh, Hero, yeah. he provides them some scoring, but really little else. And like I said, Butler, he's getting a little bit up there in age. He's always guaranteed to miss 20, 25 games. And suddenly that, you know, that pattern's not working for them because they don't have enough people behind them, I feel like, to – play that Spolster style game where they're going to hold you, let's face it, to 95 points or less. No, they've suddenly given up a lot bigger scoring games, and I'm not sure if they can flip the switch because we're almost halfway through the season. What are they? Round 500, and, you know, that's not going to be good enough. Not even close to it. Ollie, appreciate you, Tom. As always, my friend, happy New Year's to you and your family, brother, and we'll talk to you next week, bud. Absolutely. Happy New Year to you too, Raymond, and your family. I'll tell you what. Listeners have to be excited about these Pelicans. How many years I, you know, I've been talking to you, you've been following this team, everybody that knows basketball, and this, this has been a treat. Whether guys are in or out of the lineup, they're still getting wins. I mean, we've never seen something like this before. Yeah, no, you're right about that, brother. Appreciate your time, bud. Talk to you next week. Yep, take care, Raymond. we got to take a timeout. We'll wrap up today's show, finalize the poll question of the day, and get you set up for Kevin Foote and footnotes. That's all coming up next right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros.
Uh, I want to take a moment to thank our guest, Brett Chancey, from the Locked On Astros podcast. Talking Astros offseason and uh, the weirdness and the bizarre saga that is the Carlos Correa offseason in free agency. Jim Gazzolo from the Lake Charles American Press, as well as the host of the Meanies Coaches Show. Talking Gary Goff's signing class. More than 20 guys in the books. 14 of them will be early enrollees, which means they'll take play, they'll take part rather in spring football. Huge, huge deal for the Cowboys. And of course, Ali Cassell, our friend from the Bird Rights Theater, their chief Pels have won three straight. Whew, good show today. Good to be back on the air with you after the holiday break. We asked you a poll question of the day, though. How was your Christmas holiday? That was our poll question of the day. We just wanted to hear from you. Was it great? Was it good? Was it crappy? Was it other? <laughs> Can we love giving you guys the other? Ah, and someone came through with other votes. I can always count on y'all. Final results, 49% of you say your Christmas holiday was good. 46% said it was great. 3% say other. And 2% actually said crappy robert duplichan says we did a new thing this year and made a scavenger hunt for the kids presents it was awesome Ooh, he said i had a blast this christmas scavenger hunt for the presents i like that idea robert and i do believe i may steal it for next year i mean my daughter loves going on little scavenger hunts and loves making us try to go on them so that could be a really cool idea thanks for robert for that Thanks to all who voted on our poll question of the day and left your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Greatly appreciate that. Well, that's going to do it for today's show of RP3 and Company. We'll be back, and we'll try to be better tomorrow morning for you, 6 to 9. we got Andrew Juge scheduled to swing by from the Saints Half Hour podcast. You can read his latest article, his latest column for us here at the game at 1037thegame.com and 1041thegame.com. And we'll take your phone calls as always and chop it up. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind of one another. Kevin Foot in Footnotes is up next right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. <laughs> 